Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Push Start Podcast. My name is DeMarco, and today we have a lot to go over. Some big news happening in gaming, as always. We have some stuff going on between Epic Games and Apple. If you haven't heard of it so far, you must be living under a rock. We also have some details, some small details going on regarding... Miles Morales in the Spider-Man game. A couple things that I'd like to discuss just because I am excited in particular for Spider-Man. Then later on in the show we'll be talking briefly, just a brief tribute to Lego Star Wars, some Metro AAA uh, acquirements that have happened. I don't know why I put AAA in there. As well as some CD Projekt Red Bioshock and of course everybody's favorite some Bethesda discussion. So All of that coming up in today's show, and I hope you guys are all doing well. But before we proceed, let's just give a little bit of a word from what's going on behind the scenes. So many of you may have noticed that I've been uploading a lot more frequently. That is just because, well, I've had a lot of spare time. I can't promise that will be the norm, but what I will say is the results and the growth of the channel... That speaks for itself. So anybody who is new to the channel and checking out the podcast, I want to give a very special and warm welcome to all of you. We have reached 750 subscribers as of recording. That is absolutely insane. Now, I know there's channels that grow faster and channels that grow slower. I am ecstatic with how the channel has been doing. And I cannot wait to continue down this path. As I always say, we're going to do big things, but we're going to do them together. And that's probably one of the most exciting parts. Now, moving on to just what's been happening, I am thinking about bringing back the Starfield Wishlist series with so many new faces to the channel. I'm going to put out a bit of a test episode, see how it does. And of course, this is exclusive to those of you who watch the podcast. No one else is going to know about this. And the podcast, not everybody takes a look at. So you're in for a little bit of a special news drop here. I'm going to go out and throw a little test episode, see how it does, and if it does happen to perform well, then hey, we could continue on. I'm hoping to get some new voices and some new comments from people who haven't really interacted with the channel before, and of course with such sporadic growth since the last one that we did, hopefully that'll come true. If not, then we will put it on pause for a bit, but as always, people are hungry for Starfield and Elder Scrolls 6. I think most people actually prefer to talk about Elder Scrolls 6, but that's just way, way, way too far down the line. And hopefully after the release of Starfield, hey, maybe people will turn around and they'll go, you know what, Starfield isn't that bad. They might even like it more than Elder Scrolls. Probably not. Probably not. I feel like nostalgia will play a large factor for most of these people if they had to pick their favorites between the three, but I can very well imagine that this is going to do pretty damn well for a lot of people. It might take their entire Bethesda hearts away. We'll have to wait and see. Anyway, on to the news for this week. There's a lot that's been going on. Well, there's not that much, but there's one major headline that's been topping everything else, and it probably will for quite a while, and that is the battle between Epic Games and Apple. However, the battle has extended. Most people think it's just Epic and Apple. It is now Epic, Apple, and Google as well. We'll get into exactly what that means, but... For starters, what exactly is going on for those of you who might not know? Well, Fortnite was removed from the App Store, and afterwards it was also removed from Google Play. After it got around, it circumnavigated Apple's rule 
to have direct payments to Apple. What exactly does that mean? Well, Epic Games on the Apple Store released a brand new feature in which players were allowed to purchase V-Bucks. I think that's what they're called, right? Yes, V-Bucks. I'm sorry, I don't play Fortnite. They were able to purchase V-Bucks instead of doing it through Apple within the app. They were able to purchase it through Epic. Not only were they able to purchase it directly from Epic, they decided instead of paying $10 for 1,000 V-Bucks, we'll only charge $8 for 1,000 V-Bucks. Now, this is, they were able to lower the price because it's basically the equivalent if you decided to go, if you wanted a bag of Lay's chips and you went directly to the Lay's factory and said, give me this super deluxe large bag of chips, they might turn around and say, all right, here, we'll give it to you for three bucks. Versus in the store, you'll see that same exact bag for $12, $10, whatever the cost of it might be. That is because you're going directly to the producer. You don't have to go through all of the secondhand markets before it gets to your grocery store shelf. Epic was basically doing the same thing. They said, hey, you know what? They could buy it right from us. Apple, which normally takes a 30% cut. I don't know why everyone's so fascinated with 30. That is a thing though, isn't it? It's not just me. 30%, that was when uh, Epic first made their store. Steam takes 30% and all these other platforms. Why 30? But anyway, Apple takes 30%. Epic decided, no, no, no. They won't have to do that because they're buying it right from us, which means we can lower the price, make it cheaper. And naturally, if you're presented with two options, a $10 option and an $8 option to buy your V-Bucks, what are you going to go with? Obviously, the cheaper option. So, Apple said, no, you cannot do this. We have it within our terms of service. You have been following the terms of service. Everybody should be following the terms of service. And you signed off on it, saying that you cannot do something like this. There are some exceptions, and it's not really exceptions as much as it is people finding other ways to get around it. For example, Netflix. If you subscribe to Netflix, you do so through Netflix's website. Notice how you don't sign up for Netflix through the Apple Store, right? So that way they can get around having Apple's 30% price or their 30% cut. Uh, However, Apple's argument was as follows, quote, Epic has apps on the App Store for a decade and have benefited from the App Store ecosystem, including its tools, testing, and distribution that Apple provides to all developers. Epic agreed to the App Store terms and guidelines freely and we're glad they've built such a successful business on the App Store. The fact that their business interests now lead them to push for a special arrangement does not change the fact that these guidelines create a level playing field for all developers and make the store safe for all users. Yes, because Apple, buying from Epic, a largely renowned and very popular studio, what are they? They're technically a publisher? company, in any case, a very well-known company, makes it unsafe for its users. Now, if you're buying it from some of these small little independent people making the 99-cent apps or the free apps that exclusively survive on microtransactions, maybe they've only had two or three app releases total, they only release on mobile, then yeah, you might not want them doing some shady business practices behind the scenes. But we're talking about Epic. Epic Games. Everybody knows Epic Games at this point. They've been in the news a lot lately. So anyway, they continue on. We will make every effort to work with Epic to resolve these violations so they can return Fortnite to the App Store. Basically, in other words, 
Give us 30% or you can't come back. Ooh, that is a steep, steep take, Apple. Now, the issue with it is that Apple is afraid they're losing so much money. Apple is upset that they're not getting 30% from the juggernaut that is Fortnite microtransactions. We'll talk about exactly how much money that is in just a bit. But Apple says, give me money or no game on the store. And Epic is saying, we don't need this. So they are suing Apple. Now, this also happened on the Google Play Store as well. I just think that since Apple is a bigger name and the App Store is a little bit of a bigger name, that that's what the headlines are going to push. But it is important to note that this is taking place on both platforms because neither of them are allowing it. And the entire reason, I can promise you, is just because it makes so much money. And if Epic institutes this policy, they're not going to get any of it. Tim Sweeney, naturally, the uh, CEO of Epic, had a reply. He said, quote, Apple has gone crazy. If colleges hold virtual classes through an iPhone app, Apple could demand 30% of the tuition. Truly, Apple has no right to take any percent of any company's revenue just because they made the phone people use to access the stuff. And I fully agree with Tim Sweeney's comments. I fully agree. Just because you can't... Here's the issue, is on the one hand, you'll have people saying Tim Sweeney is going under the argument that they are monopolizing the Apple store. They do say that Apple has the, uh, what is it? They sold rights on iOS systems that they're monopolizing iOS. That's what it was. So Apple turns around and, and, and you, you could argue that it's not a monopoly. Why is it not a monopoly? Well, you have the choice between buying an Apple phone or a Google phone, and that is competition, therefore not monopolizing it. But what they do mean is that you are monopolizing it once people are locked into, and this article, all of this I am reading, by the way, from gamesindustry.biz, the name of the article, uh, Fortnite removed from App Store after it dodges Apple rule on direct payments, if you want to look it up. Uh, And it was written by Rebecca Valentine on the 13th of August, or Valentine. But they do say in this article that Apple is monopolizing the Apple ecosystem and that once you are locked into an Apple product, you cannot get outside of anything that Apple doesn't allow. In this case, it is buying directly from the production, buying directly from the manufacturer, in other words, or in this case from Epic. They don't like that. Now, what's interesting about this lawsuit, and it is a lawsuit, is that Epic isn't asking for anything. Epic is asking for no financial compensation. They just simply want the right to be able to publish on the Apple Store and to be able to monetize it the way they want. Apple is afraid that if they start doing it, other companies will start doing it. And essentially, that was where they make a lot of their money because most of the apps that people pay for... They're free games. They're things such as Candy Crush. Imagine if Candy Crush, which, yes, it still makes boatloads of money. Imagine if Candy Crush stopped requiring people to pay through Apple. That's what they're worried about. That is what they're scared of. It is the broader implications. Of course, Fortnite makes a lot of money. And again, we're going to talk about exactly how much. But they are scared of the lasting repercussions of this. And I would be too if I were them. But that means that they need to get more quality things on the App Store. 
It means that if they're not offering competitive prices, it means that if they're not offering fair markets, that people will go with the competitors. Maybe they should start offering more uh, more diverse ways to get games. And of course, they launched their Apple subscription service and you could get access to all the premium games, but I don't know the success of that. And that's one way to monetize the apps again. And that's basically following in line with the rise of subscription services and their popularity. Maybe Apple needs to hone in on exclusives. Maybe Apple should start making Apple games. Free games, paid games, both, that are made directly by Apple for their store. Maybe that's the future of monetizing the Apple Store. Who knows? But man. Let's read on. They say Apple is bigger, more powerful, more entrenched, and more pernicious than the monopolist of yesteryear. At a market cap of nearly $2 trillion, Apple's size and reach far exceeds that of any technology monopolist in history. Again, this is going off the fact that they are monopolizing the iOS software not so much all devices, period. And I said that we're going to talk about exactly how much they make, and the number is staggering. I don't understand it. Guys, how do you spend so much bloody money on cosmetic items, on cosmetics in Fortnite, a game that I guarantee you in about two to five years, you I know that's a broad range, you will never be playing these games anymore. You will not be playing Fortnite and when, when you get older. Something new is going to come out. Fortnite will die down. The updates will cease. Whatever the case might be. But man, it is insane. And I get most of it is probably younger kids who are getting it from their parents. Jeez, watch your credit cards. If that's the case, then parents, watch what your kids are spending money on. Pay a little bit more attention. Video games is the biggest entertainment industry. I haven't talked about the price yet. I should probably get on that. So, let's start off. This is another article coming from gamesindustry.biz. This one's coming from Matthew Hondrahan. I apologize. Uh, It was written on August 14th. It is titled, Sensor Tower. Apple's removal of Fortnite cuts off $1.2 billion in player spending. Wow. The article starts off, Apple's decision to remove Fortnite from the App Store has stimmied a $1.2 billion revenue stream for Epic Games, according to data from Sensor Tower. Later on in the article, it does mention, according to Sensor Tower, the App Store is a far bigger loss for Epic than Google Play, and that's why you'll see Apple is talking about it more. Fortnite only launched on Android Store in April, a delay due to Google's 30% revenue share, but... Monthly spending remains far lower than on Apple's platform. In the last 30 days, App Store players spent $43.4 million on Fortnite. Let's recapture that. In 30 days, App Store players have spent $43.4 million on a free mobile game. I know it's a console game technically, but it's on your phone. What the hell are you spending this money on, guys? Are the costumes really that big? Does having a special pickaxe really do that much? Or is it being able to make your character look like Ray 
or look like, uh, you know, Marvel characters or look like a banana. I don't understand it. And it's not just because it's Fortnite, don't get me wrong. It's most of these cosmetic games. Fall Guys is the new popular thing. And you could spend money to characterize your Fall Guy. And guess what? That is another game that's going to die over time. It's popular now. It's not going to last. I played it. It really isn't that much fun. It really is not that much fun. Personally, I know some people probably really enjoy it. And and that's fine. That's all a... uh, It's not an objective point of view. That's all subjective. But these games are all trends. And I'm horrified to know how much that game made. But $43.4 million in 30 days alone. A total of $1.2 billion since it released. Probably more than that. I don't know exactly how long that data is. Oh no, it's 1.2 since it launched on the App Store. Okay, according to the article. Uh, well, Epic's not really too worried, I can guarantee you, because they still have it at least on consoles and mobile and on uh, PC. So you can still play it wherever on, on, you know, as long as you're on a proper system. But you just cannot play it on mobile devices, which of course is doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Now, probably one of the best things is that Epic took the 1984 Macintosh commercial and replaced it with Fortnite characters instead. Uh, and that alone is just really brilliant marketing. But it's crazy to think, and Alana Pierce, uh, user who games journalist, pointed this out. She said, oh, you guys want to live in cyberpunk? Well, except for the floating cars that exist, we already are. You have two mega companies duking it out with social media and hashtags in order to militarize that she didn't quite say it this way i'm paraphrasing but in order to move consumers and uh users of uh, players of Fortnite. and yeah that's she's, she's completely right you have two massive corporations two gigantic companies and don't get anything mixed up anybody this is not a matter of making sure that you guys have the best experience or that you guys have fair competition. Epic is using that as a mask for what it really is about. And it's really about maximizing Epic's revenue. Because if they don't have to split 30% with Apple, they are going to make more money. And that is what it is about. It is about whether or not Apple can make more money or Epic can make more money. And the side result, the side effect of that is... Simply, you get a cheaper price. So, interpret that however you will, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. That's up to you. I say that, at the end of the day, it's a good thing, it's driving competition. But it is important to realize that they're not doing this for us. We don't matter. They're doing it for their own pockets. Anyway, that is all for the... There's going to be definitely more that develops from this. A lot of people are saying, just a few endnotes, a lot of people are saying that Epic really doesn't have much of a case uh, and that Apple is most certainly going to win in this lawsuit. However, you know, like I said before, Epic is fighting. They're not asking for compensation for the lawsuit. They're just asking for the ability to bill how they want. Uh, And this could lead to massive repercussions on Apple's front, as I talked about earlier as most apps will probably end up following suit and that's a it's it might lead to a very major shift in how apple and the app store is are run and that'll be interesting but 
these things will develop over time, and I'll be sure to cover it in the podcast specifically. This isn't so much content that I put on the main channel, uh, just because that's what not mo- most of you guys follow me for. All right, on to something a little bit more fun, a little bit happier. Miles Morales and Spider-Man. This is pretty exciting. Miles Morales, it comes to nobody's surprise for those of you who are following the game closely, but it will get, quote, a full arc in Spider-Man PS5. Now, we don't know. This is a headline coming from IGN. It was written on August 13th, uh, which I want to point out, that's only two days as of recording this video. So it's a lot more recent than when you guys hear the podcast. But this is a cool thing. I'm glad that the game will be focused on Miles Morales. And I think that they're trying to simply reinforce the fact that this is not a DLC. This is a standalone game similar to what Lost Legacy was in Uncharted. It's a shorter spinoff. It is going to be a lot shorter, but it does play as its own game. This is really, really cool. And on top of that, from a lot of the things that they're saying about the Miles Morales game, they're further confirming, we already knew this was the case, but they are further confirming that we will get a second Spider-Man game. To nobody's surprise, it did so well that if it didn't do a second Spider-Man game, that would be stupid. But... Uh, I'm sure that, as we know, Peter Parker is going to be taking a bit of a back seat in this one, uh, as it will be focusing on Miles Morales. And it's nice to know that he's going to get a comfortable beginning, middle, and end. And, of course, that will probably, almost certainly, play into the next Spider-Man game. Uh, The exact quote uh, that Insomniac said regarding Spider-Man 2 was that, quote, we still have much more of Peter Parker's story left to tell but this is his opportunity to get a starring role uh they also added that this is a short story in uh wait horton adds that the decision to have the character star in a shorter game was a way of telling his story in a quote impactful way when we started crafting it we realized that with a little bit more of a compact storytelling style we could tell a very emotionally impactful story that would fit really well as an experience that would take spider-man 1 and miles morales and do justice to this character so it does seem as though they didn't want to put in all of the fluff and if you look at spider-man 1 a lot of it was fluff which is one of my biggest criticisms with the game that a lot of it did seem to be tons of filler stuff all of the unnecessary challenges which i'm sure this game will probably still have but they don't need to throw it in with this massive three arc thing they could tell a much more condensed story that's much more about the story rather than giving the player tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of things to do as games obsess over we've actually had a couple developers who are stating no we should probably go back to the seven to ten hour game That's a lot reasonable. These games are just getting too damn big. And I'm curious as to exactly what the tipping point will be. I am curious when the final... Because there will come a point in time where developers say, this is just completely unsustainable. Some of them are already saying that. Some of them are already saying that. And as more games such as Lost Legacy or Miles Morales, which will undoubtedly do well, we have no question about that. As these games start to rise in popularity, I wonder if studios will say, hey, we could... We could make these shorter games, make more of them, they'll come out more polished and make just as much money? Huh. Would you look at that? And that is really the deciding factor right now. Right now, the the idea, the mindset, is we release one game, we monetize it for an incredibly long time, 
And then eventually when it starts dying down, we make another. Yeah? So, great example. If Destiny 2 did incredibly well, they're already probably working on a Destiny 3. It's already in the mindset. They might even hold off on releasing Destiny 3. Of course, if Destiny 3 were finished and Destiny 2 were still making a ton of money, they'd have to upgrade it, make it visually look a little bit better, fine-tune tons of things, uh, maybe add a couple more. But, of course, mitigate it as much as possible so that they can release the content over time and, you know, don't give players a full experience, which is the idea behind live service games, which is why they suck. But... The current mentality is that, hey, we will keep work on this until this game isn't making as much money, then we'll release a new one, people spend another $60 to get the new one, and of course we monetize it over the long haul. The transition, the shift in direction, will be when the publishers and developers decide, wait, 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 hold on, we can make, we can make a 7-hour experience, an 8-hour experience, instead of a 20-hour one. Because it's a much shorter, we'll be able to release them more frequently hell making you know every year and a half that might be possible instead of every three years or every two years even cut it down by six months we could get another game out and it will come out more polished and just as many people will buy it it's a pretty 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 big win and i'm curious to see which one is more effective probably probably the former probably the microtransactions because we all see how much money microtransaction makes which excuse me whoo is an unfortunate reality. Anyway, I'm looking forward to Miles Morales Spider-Man. I hope some of you guys are too. I loved the first Spider-Man game. And of course, he's going to be coming in with his own set of powers. We're going to probably get some more teases for Spider-Man 2 in this game. Might even set it up really incredibly well, which I am very much looking forward to. On to some other news regarding games that we have snippets about. Bioshock. A new little tidbit of information came from Bioshock. A job posting, it was. A job posting came out and stated that they are working in a new world. A new world. The exact quote in the job posting was that they wanted uh, people who could breathe life into a new and fantastical world which pointed and a lot of people are speculating that this means it's not going to be taking place within rapture or columbia that is a good thing all around 100 percent, that is a good thing this is being developed by a new studio called Cla- well not new but it's not being developed by the original team it's being developed by a studio called cloud chamber uh, i'm personally not too familiar with their work uh maybe a game will pop up that i know cloud chamber is now working on bioshock they have some job postings i'm looking at their website now but it doesn't seem like they really have much else going on so there you go uh that's why i've never heard of them before But anyway, they will be taking the helm on Bioshock 4, and I'm glad that they are moving into a new environment, simply because they can't capture. They can't. Unless you had the original team working on the game, they cannot capture what made the original Bioshocks brilliant. They can try, but it's going to be different, is, is what I'm getting at. It will be different. Not necessarily better or worse, simply different. And to allow for a brand new team who's taking over, 
to work in their own world as opposed to something that's been set up before, that is the best thing possible. Because you look at a game such as, and I'm going to go to the Arkham games for this, look at a game like Arkham Origins. Arkham Origins had to work within the confines of what had already been done. They were restricted in the sense that they needed to do what the Arkham games had already set up by a different team. That's not that team. So of course they're going to have their own ideas and things that they want, but they simply can't because either of lore reasons or because of setting reasons or because of what the proper studio, the original studio, wants to do in the sequel in the case of Arkham Origins. That being said, this isn't the problem with this Bioshock. They don't have to worry about the original studio working on the game anymore, but the fact still remains putting them in a new environment will allow them to unleash their creative freedom it will allow them to utilize their full potential go with a brand new protagonist we don't need jack his name was jack right someone is going to get really really mad at me if i got that wrong from bioshock one jack we don't need booker dewitt we can get someone who is entirely brand new hopefully an interesting protagonist again i feel like it's pretty hard to get the protagonist wrong in Bioshock is there always a person who's been put into unfortunate circumstances with the exception of Bioshock 2 where you did play as a big daddy also put in unfortunate circumstances but you get what I'm saying having a brand new protagonist who's also thrust into this new and fantastical world is one of the best decisions that the studio could have made and there will probably be nods to Rapture it takes place in the same universe the same lore does exist within these two super cities uh so there will almost certainly be nods to one of the two but uh what was it It was plasmids as well as uh oh man tonics tonics and plasmids i believe were the two names for rapture and columbia there'll probably be a new name where you get the powers from and they'll also they might do something similar but it will be called something different as well no problem with that either let them let them do their own things. Now, there were also leaks that took place in the past. Uh, these leaks were coming from uh, Zykeon. Zykeon. Uh, I think that's the name. Uh, he claimed that Adam, the same gene-altering organism fueling the tonics and plasmids, will also be wreaking havoc in London. So, they were suspecting, some people were saying that the game would take place in London? Maybe partially, maybe that's where the protagonist is from, Uh, but the main details that we have here, the game's map will be larger and richer than previous chapters, especially enhancing environmental destructibility and further expanding the effects of plasmids on enemies, in-game maps, and environmental enigmas. Huh, that sounds pretty cool. Destruction was always something that really didn't do too much of a role in the Bioshock games, it did a little bit. I think there was some destructibility in Bioshock Infinite, I believe. But I could be wrong. It's been years since I've played that game. Anyway, exciting news. It's still years away from development. It'll probably also be run in Unreal Engine 5, which would certainly be cool. I think it definitely would be neat if they're probably working on Unreal 4. Well, they are working on Unreal 4 right now. But to be able to transition over to Unreal 5 before the game runs out comes out would certainly be exciting. So, the LEGO game, something I didn't expect to be talking about this soon, and this is just a short little snippet, it's not going to take too long, but the LEGO games are getting a new holiday sp- well, the LEGO games, LEGO Star Wars, excuse me, ignore all the things I was saying about games, LEGO Star Wars is getting a brand new holiday special to Disney Plus coming in November. 
huh, that was an, certainly an unexpected announcement. There are a couple screenshots coming from Disney+. Plus. We get to see Chewbacca, Poe, Rey, and Finn. Uh, we also see Mace Windu, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Master Yoda, and Han Solo. So that's interesting. There's also Anakin Skywalker, Greedo, and Darth Maul. I guess we'll be seeing all of these eras collide into one thing during this holiday special? Eh, who cares? It's interesting. It's Legos. Let them do what they want. Interestingly enough, in the uh, one of the holiday special images, we actually did see, well, we can see, that there's three Obi-Wan Kenobis, it looks like, or maybe two Obi-Wan Kenobis. Uh, maybe that's probably Luke Skywalker. I'm looking at the image now, but you have three uh, people on the left-hand side of the image in the Disney Plus screens. Two of them are Obi-Wan. So I wonder what's going on there. One's a dirty Obi-Wan. One's a clean Obi-Wan. One has more tattered robes than the other. I'm not sure. And Anakin Skywalker is on the evil guy side. So. Oh, in the image, it's not Anakin. Or Yoda. It's baby Anakin. It's young Anakin Skywalker. That's interesting. So, I don't know. There's a holiday special out. Anyone who hasn't seen the original Star Wars holiday special, do yourself a favor and stay far away from it. It's absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. Terrible. Don't look at it. Anyway, the all-new animated special will follow the events of Rise of Skywalker, with Rey setting off on a quest with BB-8 to gain deeper knowledge of the Force ahead of Life Day. While visiting a mysterious Jedi temple, she is hurled into a cross-timeline adventure through beloved moments from the saga, coming to contact with Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Yoda, Obi-Wan, and other iconic characters. Meanwhile, on Chewbacca's homeworld of Kashyyyk, Finn, Poe, Chewie, Rose, and the droids will be busy preparing for the galaxy's most cheerful and magical holiday, which will play host to the Lego versions of some Wookiee characters from the 70s special. <laughs> so we're going to get a, tid- a uh, tidbit, a little Easter egg back to that. It'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, it's it's just something to watch. Probably short special. So, hey, if they want to do that, uh, you know, more power to you. And it is, of course, ahead of the LEGO Star Wars games that are coming out in October. Those I am incredibly excited for. I loved the LEGO Star Wars games. My favorite Star Wars... LEGO games? LEGO games, for sure. Not my favorite Star Wars game. My favorite Star Wars game was The Force Unleashed, the first one. For those of you that are curious, I loved... The Force Unleashed to bits. It just completely fulfilled that power fantasy in a different way than what Jedi Fall. By the end of Jedi Fallen Order, you were powerful. Even on the hardest difficulty, you were strong. But being able to pick up stormtroopers and have them, you know, grab onto one another and then throw them out in airlock, it was just exciting. Of course, some people might be like, what? It's not KOTOR? I haven't finished KOTOR yet. I'm sorry. I'm working on it. It's hard for me to get through that game. It is so dated. I'm trying, though. I'm still not off the first planet. But I get a little bit each time. I get a little bit farther. So, next up in the headlines, this is pretty big because not only do we have a segue into what uh, Deep Silver is working on, but also we're getting a brand new IP. This article is coming from IGN. It was written on August 15th, today as of the day of recording. It is called Metro Developer Acquired by Embracer Group, working on a brand new Metro game and a new AAA IP. So, the article written by Jordan Alleman goes on to say... 
The Metro franchise and a new AAA IP after being acquired by THQ Nordic's holding company embrace a group for around $80 million. That is a lot of money. Uh, they will operate as an independent studio under Saber Interactive, which acquired Embrace. There's a lot of acquisitions going on. The Embracer Group picked up 4A Games, its proprietary game engine, and the Metro IP in the deal. The Ukraine-based company will operate as an in- independent studio under Saber Interactive, which Embracer also acquired this year. Together, they said, we will continue to build on the Metro franchise and will be focusing will be focused on bringing a multiplayer experience to our fan base. Sharp also added that the team is looking forward to building a new and even more ambitious AAA IP in the near future. So they have two projects that are going on right now. The interesting bit is that Metro isn't done. And I don't know how I feel about that. I thought Metro Exodus was stellar. I thought that it made a really great trilogy. And I don't know if I want more Metro games. I would prefer to see this new IP, and I'm glad that they're doing it, but it seems like they are working with a game that a lot of people know and a lot of people love in order to keep the name going. And of course, adding multiplayer, because that's exactly what Metro needs, and that's what people have been asking for with Metro. Man. God damn it. Why, multiplayer? Why do you need to go into everything? Stop infiltrating all the good single-player games. If you haven't played Metro Exodus, I would highly recommend it. It was one of the most immersive post-apocalyptic experiences I have ever played. Period. One of the most immersive. I have never felt that enveloped in a game, in the game's world, rather, than when I was playing Metro Exodus. It is incredibly, between the visuals and just the way everything feels and plays. It is crisp, it is tight, it is a good shooter, it is a good story, and I would recommend it to absolutely everybody. You could probably get the game pretty cheap. Now, thankfully, to my understanding of this article, it seems like they were able to keep the studio intact. That's one of the biggest, uh, the scariest things when it comes to acquisitions is who's getting laid off, and are the original team members going to be working on the game? To my understanding, yes, they will be. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but... It's it's good to see that we'll get another, at least from the same people who've worked on it before, we're not going to get something exactly what's going on with Bioshock, actually, where people are saying, people don't know what to expect. People are saying, yeah, you know what, keep that game as far away from the original Bioshock trilogy as possible, because we simply don't know what to expect from it. And I am glad that we have the original team working on it, I think, I think, don't quote me on that. As for the multiplayer feature, as long as it doesn't interfere with the game, it's unfortunate that that's going to take away development time and people are going to have to work on that and focus on it because the great thing about Metro games is the story. But of course, you can't monetize story unless you make good DLC and unless the game is good to begin with. But you can easily monetize a multiplayer game and in some cosmetics, some juicy little loot crates. I could already see the post-apocalyptic loot crates coming in. Now, that's not to say I'm completely opposed to multiplayer. Multiplayer games have surprised me in the past. In fact, one of the best examples of this was actually the Arkham Origins multiplayer, which I have to say is pretty fun. And I think on the Xbox's servers, it's still live. You could go ahead and play it if you have the game on Xbox. And it also is backwards compatible. So you could play it on your Xbox One if you have the disc copy of it. I think you need the disc copy. Essentially, the way that the Arkham Origins multiplayer worked was you had a team of three thugs versus a team of three thugs versus a team of two, Batman and Robin. So it was a 3v3v2. I thought it was really well done. It 
was pretty clunky, all things considered, especially because you have to keep in mind that if, you know, Batman does a takedown on you, you sort of get locked into that place so that Batman can do his animation or Robin does a takedown on you. Uh, and of course it would have been cool if they expanded a little bit more, allowed for different characters, not just Batman and Robin, but throw Nightwing in there. Uh, of course, Nightwing during Arkham Origins, when it takes place, Nightwing wasn't around yet. I think that timeline gets really, really messy. Indeed it does. But, uh, you know, you, you, it was, it was cool and it was unique. So maybe in this multiplayer, you could do something similar where you have a team of survivors versus mutants. And the mutants are trying to take out all of the uh, survivors, so it's not just like a PvP, or, well, it is PvP, any multiplayer is, but it's not just like a team deathmatch type thing, I mean. That would be cool. As long as they think of a more creative way to do it, uh, Doom Eternal is another great example. I like the multiplayer in Doom Eternal. It's not the staple of the game, and it didn't get a lot of praise, and I definitely don't think it's got as much attention as it probably should, because it is a lot of fun. As long as they do something more creative than just team deathmatch, capture the flag, domination, whatever it might be, they're probably in a pretty good state, but it's a long time before we'll be seeing this. What I'm more interested in is the new IP, because I love getting new IPs, and uh, hopefully this is something fantasy setting. I would like to see a fantasy setting from these guys. I just, I'm a little bit biased. I like my fantasy games. Sue me. So there is some cyberpunk discussion to be had. Cyberpunk and CD Projekt Red, they're not 100% happy with melee combat in first person. Oof. Will this lead to another delay? I don't think so. I don't think they're going to push the game back again. And let's be honest, even if they did though, people probably be a little bit upset, but they're still going to buy it. So who really cares? Certainly not them. Uh, well, they do because it increases the development costs. That's probably CD Projekt Red's biggest concern, actually. Actually, excuse me. My God, I am just filled with... All sorts of... Meh. Anyway. CD Projekt Red is probably just nervous about the development costs. I wouldn't be. If I were in their position and they needed another delay to make the first-person melee combat feel better, I would say, screw it! Push it back! Yeah, we're gonna lose more money because it takes longer, but this game is going to sell like hotcakes. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if from pre-orders alone they're already doing pretty damn good. They have to be, right? I mean, this is the most talked-about game of this year, more so than The Last of Us, more so than Ghost of Tsushima, which got crazy stellar reviews, and I think it's a PlayStation best. It is a PlayStation bestseller. No, this is even more than that. This is cyberpunk from the guys who made The Witcher Three. Man, so I I wouldn't be worried if I was. I'd say delay the game, make it as good as it possibly can be. And the interesting thing about this interview is that they did specifically state that. They weren't happy when people did get hands-on time with the game, when industry and uh, news outlets and media got their hands-on. They weren't happy with it. Uh, specifically, the hits, the visual feedback on the hits. Uh, and they're still trying to perfect it, and they have a couple months, and they did say that since the hands-on, the journalists were able to play it, uh, it is much better than it previously was. And it seems like, from what they say, that they're confident they will be able to make the improvements that it needs as the game approaches launch. First-person melee combat is incredibly hard to do, if you didn't know that. It's actually very, very difficult. Games like Dishonored, in fact, this article is coming from IGN as well. i got quite a few IGN articles today. Uh, but this uh, first-person melee combat, they even mentioned that. Something like the Dishonored games, it's not easy to do. And given that CD Projekt Red's experience is in third-person perspective titles it's a big transition. Even getting all of these systems to work in first person alone is a pretty big feat for that studio. And it's 
good because maybe in the future we'll be able to get both perspective. I imagine not. I feel like, you know, any future game they're going to want to do one or the other just because that way they can make the entire experience tailored toward one perspective. They don't need to do both. That's, you know, if they want to do first person Witcher, they would need to find out how to make all those first person mechanics. It's not as easy as just saying, okay, well, just stick a camera on the, you know, on where the head would be and you're good to go. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. There's a lot more that needs to go into it than just that. But if you're listening, would you be upset? Would you guys be upset if Cyberpunk was delayed yet again? I don't know. I wouldn't be for sure, but well, I want to know is actually the better thing to say. I want to know what you guys think. Would you be upset? I wouldn't. I think that, you know, if they could make those mantis blades, the things that come out of your arms that are swords and they look super cool. If they could make that feel really damn good, I am all for giving it an extra couple months. Just make it as perfect as this game needs to be. And I think the hype behind this game is really going to put a lot of strain on it. Even if there is some flaws, people will probably look over it and they'll say, yeah, this could have been better, this could have been better, but just the sheer anticipation for this game and how excited everyone is for it, and it does look really good. And even people who have gotten their hands on the game... That's not really something that a lot of people brought up, at least not that I've seen, is people saying, well, the melee combat didn't feel good, it felt rigid and stiff, and I like it, the whole game sucks. Nobody's saying that. Nobody is really saying that. To be brutally honest, most people are probably going to end up playing with the guns. They want to play with the guns. There's more guns than melee weapons anyway, so hell. If the melee combat's not the best, they'll do fine. People will overlook it. But would you be okay with the delay? That's what I'm really curious to know. Now, in just about a 30-second segment, I do want to give an indie game shout-out. This is actually something I probably should have done in the beginning, but there is a game, Risk of Rain 2. It's one of my favorite indie games that I have ever played. If you haven't, I highly recommend you at least give it a look and see if it's something you'd be into, but it just came out of its early access. It is now officially the 1.0 release. It has a proper ending to the game, and it is incredibly exciting. It is a roguelike third-person perspective shooter, action, looter, kind of, and you basically just go through from level to level, fighting waves of increasingly difficult enemies, getting all sorts of wacky items, ranging from something that shocks enemies every 10 seconds when it's around you, to something that allows you to jump in the air and stomp, and, you know, things that just simply make you fire faster. Also, uh, you know, there's, there's buzzsaws that you can fire from your character that go out and then come back to you. Uh, it's a really, really cool, crazy, chaotic game, and it's even better that it is co-op. You can play with up to three other friends, four people in total, including yourself. So, oh, please do go check that game out. Support Hapu Games. They deserve it. They really, really do. They made a fantastic experience. So, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out. I've been playing a lot of Risk of Rain 2 recently, and I love the game to death. I'm on my way to get every single unlock that you can. Probably won't. Definitely won't but I'm working on it. So there isn't much going on with Bethesda in recent days. That's why you've noticed that they're pretty absent from this. Uh, But hopefully we'll get to see a little bit more soon from them. I don't know when that would be. Gamescom is coming up. I'm expecting probably just Deathloop. Even Ghostwire Tokyo, I would say probably not. That's a ways off. Deathloop is the only launch title, and it's a PS5 exclusive, timed exclusive launch title at that. So this would be a good opportunity for them, and Gamescom is typically used as an opportunity for Bethesda to show off their games in progress. I hope that's what they do. And no Starfield, though. Don't expect any Starfield. Definitely no Elder Scrolls Six. 
Uh, I just wish there was more about Bethesda to talk about. It's going to be a pretty light video week in regards to that, simply because there's nothing going on. And as you guys know, I don't like to really milk content. I don't like to try to find things that are stupid discussions. If I wouldn't watch it, then I'm not making a video on it. So there you go. Unfortunately, it's relatively quiet. But look forward to Gamescom. Hopefully we'll get something. More interesting, uh, in my opinion, is DZ Fandom is coming up August 22nd. That's going to be in less than a week at the time that you guys hear this. And we will be getting a full reveal of WB Montreal's Batman game. It's supposedly an Arkham reboot, as well as a sneak peek, not a full reveal to my understanding and from what I've heard inside, uh, but it will be a sneak peek to a Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League Games as a service title, which I'm infinitely less excited for. Thank God they have WB Montreal working on a proper single-player Batman game, at least to what we know is a proper single-player Batman game. And, uh, you know, it'll be... I'm really excited. It's been a long time coming. 2015 was the release of Arkham Knight, and just this August 22nd at DC Fandom, we will finally get to see what this project is. And I do hope that maybe the Justice League game can turn, or Justice League, the Suicide Squad game can turn my opinion around on games as a service, but I'm pretty doubtful. I've not seen one that, at least at launch, you know, I love Sea of Thieves, uh, and that was technically a games, that is a games as a service game. Uh, And Fallout 76 definitely improved, that's also a games as a service, so hopefully they can do something uh, where they get it right at launch. I don't know, probably not, especially with all of the uh, lack of enthusiasm for Avengers, which there is a lot of. People are not excited for the Avengers game. It just doesn't play that well. It feels weird. It's just a hybrid mashup of Destiny meets Superhero trying to do storytelling, and it doesn't work because live service games don't work. But people still spend tons of money in them. (laughs) There's no winning, is there? And last but not least, our last topic for the day as we get near... The one hour mark. We're approaching the one hour. We have a possible leaked price for the Xbox One X. Xbox Series X. Excuse me. Too many... What is going on with Xbox's naming? Could they have made it any more complicated? Monster Energy Cans, of all things, has having a giveaway for the Xbox Series X. And they announced the total value of all of their prizes alongside the number of prizes that they're going to give. Now, I don't have the exact numbers offhand, but that's not really the interesting bit, is it? You can go and search this up if you're interested. The more interesting thing is that by doing some very simple math, the amount that the overall prize they're giving away, not of one console, but all of the consoles that they're doing in their giveaway, combined with the total amount of prizes, you get the exact price of the console, which is supposedly 599 US dollars. Ooh, that is steep. Now, there have been rumors that I've heard that the Project Lockhart, which is the Xbox uh, Series S, as it is properly called, we got through the controllers that leaked a while back. They had the packaging. The Xbox Series S is now all but confirmed. It just needs to be actually confirmed. And that was there were rumors that that would be as low as 199 US dollars. And the Xbox Series, uh, the Xbox Series X, these names are so confusing, man. The Xbox Series X would be 299 US dollars. And that Microsoft was willing to bite the bullet and take a loss on all of their console sales because of the fact that they would make it back through the subscription service. 
they would make it back through having you buy through the Microsoft platform as opposed to Sony's platform or the Epic Game Store or Steam. They can lock you into the Xbox ecosystem. The price of entry would be through programs like Xbox Game Pass or, you know, Xbox Live Gold with the free games with gold that they give, although they're not really that good games that they've been giving away lately. But mainly it's the Xbox Game Pass. They get you through Xbox Game Pass, which also bundles in xCloud, which also bundles in PC, which also bundles in consoles, which also bundles in Xbox Live Gold for you. So you get all these services. Congratulations, you are now an Xbox customer. And that was the more important thing for them. It seems as though that was a reasonable line of thinking as to why they would release the consoles at, you know, $300, which is incredibly cheap for the hardware that's in there. I want to remind everybody, especially when most people are willing to spend $500 on the console. I think the majority of people think that's pretty reasonable, still expensive, but pretty reasonable for the technology that you're getting. So, especially given that that's what people are willing to pay, $300 is phenomenal. And Sony probably wouldn't be able to undercut that. Sony would probably have to go lowest, I would assume, at $400. This would be pretty bad for them because they don't have the advantage of having multiple different systems. They only have one console. Also bad because Sony relies on the exclusives. Sony has not yet adapted a policy in which they support buying games from all different platforms. Sony is still saying, nope, you buy it on Sony. Now, it's changed a little bit with, you know, for example, the release of Horizon Zero Dawn, which I know a lot of people are really excited for. You can now get that on PC, which is really good of them, and that's a good step in the right direction. But Microsoft still takes the cake. One thing's for certain, though, if Microsoft does decide to release their console price incredibly low, that's really, really good because it will make PlayStation have to adapt to that price. And... All around for consumers, that's good. If we could get a console for cheaper, it means we could spend more money on, you know, the actual games. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That'd be quite swell indeed. So that about does it for the news that I have that I wanted to talk about this week. I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, I'm still debating whether or not to make this show all live or just always on demand. There's a couple pros to doing it live. One is that I get to interact with you guys, hopefully bring some of you in. Uh, but one of the cons is that you don't, you can't get all these discussions down. Uh, of course, you, you, you get sidetracked by what people are saying in the chat. Not that that's a bad thing. I love the chat and I love interacting with it, but you certainly get sidetracked and, and you can't really meticulously plan and talk about content in a much more structured way, uh, as I've tried to do here do here and of course i am going to continue trying to figure out who i want to do for a uh permanent co-host if i could find that that'd be absolutely excellent i would love to have someone on board to discuss with so i don't have to ramble on for about an hour it makes it gets hard on the throat to just keep talking for an entire hour of footage uh so we're gonna keep an eye on that but let me know what you guys think and your suggestions and how we could continue to make the podcast better with each episode thank you guys so much for watching. I hope you enjoyed and I hope to see you all next time. So long, everybody.